Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn to Job chapter number 39, Job in chapter 39. And while you're finding your place there, I'll mention that uh, next Wednesday night is our annual business meeting. And we have that at the end of the service. So we go ahead and have just a normal service. And then we'll have our election of officers, give a report on really God's blessings over this very unique year financially. And uh, so excited about uh, getting to share that with you. So that'll be next uh, next Wednesday night, the first Wednesday night of February. Okay, so Job and chapter number 39 is where we are. And I'd like for us to actually read right on into chapter number 40, the first couple uh, verses there. So Job 39, and then we'll go right into chapter 40. And I think it'll help us here tonight as we do. So Job chapter 39 in, in verse number one, knowest thou, as God is speaking to Job, if you're just joining us in the series, and uh, Job is in the middle of a science quiz, and it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock, rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark the hinds, or when the hinds do calve? Canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? They bow themselves, they bring forth their young ones, they cast out their sorrows. Their young ones are in good liking, they grow up with corn, they go forth and return not to them. Who has sent out the wild ass free? Or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass? Whose house I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwellings? He scorneth the multitude of the city, neither doth, neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. Well, the unicorn, this is not the mythical creature, by the way, a mythological creature. We'll deal with this in a little bit, but will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow? Or will he harrow the valleys after thee? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great? Or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks? Or wings and feathers unto the ostrich. Now that is the ostrich. Which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in, the, in dust. And forgetteth that the foot may crush them. Or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear because, notice this, God hath deprived her of wisdom. You want to know why that's such a silly bird? Because God made her that way. That's what it's saying. He's deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. I didn't say that God did. <clears throat> but what she lacked in sense, she made up in speed. So if you can't be smart, be fast. How's that? Is that all right? What time she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. In other words, she runs faster than a horse. 
I looked that one up. That was pretty interesting. Hast thou given the horse, speaking of horses, hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? And the glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh that fear and is not affrighted. Affrighted. Neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him and the glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness. Isn't that awesome? He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that, that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, ha ha. <laughs> He's fired up for battle. And he smelleth the battle afar off and the thunder of the captains and the shouting. <laughs> All right. Verse 26. Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings toward the south? Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock upon the crag of the rock and the strong place from thence she seeketh the prey and her eyes behold afar off. You going to teach her something about hunting? <laughs> hunting? <laughs> Sorry. Kicked into Kentucky mode right there. <laughs> Her young ones also suck up blood and, and where the slain are, there is she. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. And so then Job, it says in verse three, says, I'm vile. What shall I answer thee? I'll lay my hand upon my mouth. That's, that's a smart thing to do right there. I'm just going to be quiet. Our series is entitled this, Trust God in the Trial. Just trust Him. There's going to be times you don't understand. Sometimes you don't agree with what's going on. Just trust Him. The title of the message tonight, we're in sermon number 42. And the title is this, Livestock and Life. Livestock and Life. Until you're all-knowing, you shouldn't tell God how to run the universe until you're all knowing. You shouldn't try to tell God how to run his operation. So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll get right to it here tonight. You've been farming long. How many of you know that picture, that portrait? You've been farming long. You've seen it? Every now and then you still see it around some old, uh, maybe old home places or uh, barber shops. I'm talking about the right kind of barber shops. And uh, you'll, see that, you'll see that portrait. Two kids, I mean, one standing, you know, with his hand on his hip and overalls, striped overalls, old timey overalls. And he has the expression on his face and he's asking, you've been farming long? I mean, it's like two young kids talking like old farmers. Been farming long. My uh, uncle, Uncle Ronnie, milked cows for I don't know how many years since he was a young man, right up until it became his operation. And 
I remember our family gets togethers on Sunday afternoons and Uncle Ronnie would leave about three, maybe 3.30, somewhere right in there. I remember three o'clock because the cattle had to be milked every day, every day, every day, Sunday, every day, Christmas day, every day. Had to be milked at four o'clock in the afternoon. Then they had to be milked again at four o'clock in the morning, every day. He did that for I don't know how many years. So, so long that he eventually sold out of dairy cattle, Holstein, and bought beef cattle. It's a lot less work. Nonetheless, it's a lot of work. He still has beef cattle. His son trains Tennessee walking horses. Uh, so it's amazing to me how much work goes into uh, training horses. I mean, constantly you think, oh, that horse, you just get on them and ride. They know what to do. You got to ride them every day. I mean, if you're really going to train, you got to ride and you got to be on them all the time. And it's a lot of work. My family, uh, we got into trail riding. I enjoyed that. My dad and mom actually met riding horses. And, and, um, and so horses is a part of my life. Right about when I was 14 years old or so, we um, got horses and began to do some trail riding. I'm really glad about that. It gave me some real good at life experiences. There's a lot of famous ranches and farms, you know, across the United States of America. And of course, a lot of them in Texas. In fact, the largest ranch is the King Ranch. 825,000 acres. 825,000 acres. Larger than the state of Rhode Island. That's a big ranch, friend, I'm here to tell you. And there's, there's actually larger ranches in, in Australia and so forth, but, but I mean, some big, big time ranches. You know, we're actually reading about a rancher. We would say maybe rancher. We could say farmer, farmer working the land. I mean, there's, there's a measure of that, I guess, that of course goes together, but uh, we have certainly a landowner with this. I read this in chapter one, 7,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen. 500 jennies or female donkeys. Many servants. And I mean, it's a big spread. I, I mean, it's a, it's a big operation. Can you imagine that? I mean, with that many sheep, that many camels, that many oxen, that many donkeys. I mean, there, there's a lot of work to do in tending such a, such a land as that. I would imagine that uh, Job maybe wouldn't have been there, of course, with that, that much livestock. He, he wouldn't have been there every time, you know, a, a cow had a calf or, or whatever livestock was was. Uh, was calving and having, having their young. I, but I would imagine he had something to say about that. He was very well aware of what was going on, don't you know, on his property. And I would imagine that he would also rotate uh, livestock around to make sure that there was, you know, ample uh, pasture land and that it was healthy. He would have uh, gone to great lengths to make sure that they had uh, good water sources, clean, safe water sources, barns and perhaps filled with, with grain. I'm just trying to imagine what all would have went into running an operation like what Job did. It was a big operation. The Bible says that he was the greatest man of the East. I mean, he was, he was a prominent landowner and, and a wealthy individual. And, and so I would imagine this, that if you decided that you were going to go into ranching, 
If you were going to go into running some livestock, I guarantee you that you could have went to Job and he would have given you some pointers on what to do and what not to do. I think he would have had some experience, experience and obviously did, in knowing how to manage the herds. God wanted to know, Job, I know you manage a lot of livestock. I know you handle a lot of domesticated animals, but how would you do and how do you do? And what do you know about animals in the wild? And could you manage them? In this chapter, we have nine different animals that are mentioned and some of them have more attention given to them than others. God wanted to know from this successful rancher and he wanted him to know this important lesson that Job, as, as, as much as experience as you have and knowledge and ability, you need to bear in mind you're limited. It doesn't matter how many camels you have and oxen you have and, and sheep you have, you ought not try to tell the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills how to run his operation. I was uh, wondering, why does it seem like God is coming so strongly in his discussion to Job? And, and so I needed to be reminded. So I look back, and I'm not going to ask you to for the sake of time, but, but if we had time, we could do a little refresh on chapter 23 to see how that uh, Job felt like he, uh, he wasn't being heard by God in his trial and in his difficulty. And he felt like if he could present his case. Do you remember this? This is going to shorten the message quite a bit if you remember this. If you don't, it's okay. But, but if you remember this, that he felt like if I could just talk to God, then I could present to God my case. And it was, it's very clear from chapter three, 23, if you just read the first 10 or so verses, you see that Job had in his heart and mind that God most definitely would take his side. Well, we all feel like God ought to take our side. And he felt like God ought to take his side. And he, the only problem was he could not find God to have a meeting with him. Well, that problem was solved and now he doesn't have a clue what to say. It's a humbling experience. If last week, as you heard the message out of chapter number 38, you came, came out of this auditorium and, and you were reminded just how limited you are in knowledge and how limited you are in control, then you walked out with the right sense. I think that the Bible is trying to give us here. And, and if, if you walked out last week with an air of confidence, like, yeah, I, I've got this. I know Job didn't, but I do. I'm telling you, you fell asleep during the message because I think what Job was supposed to get and what we're supposed to get is that we don't know as much as we think we know. And we're not in as much control as we think sometimes we are. And the world in no way does it revolve around us. And God put Job in his place. Jim Berg in his book, A Change to His Image, said this, when enduring great pain, we like Job begin to feel justified in our complaints against God and demand an explanation we feel like, we feel certain that God is entirely wrong in, in the trouble that he is allowed to come our way. You ever feel that way? I think if we're all honest, we all say that. It doesn't seem right. 
It does not seem right that this is going on in my life. Or, or even in, on behalf of another, we might say, it doesn't seem right that that is coming their way and that that is coming their way and the difficulties are bearing down upon them. Jim Berg went on to say this, no attribute of God is more emphasized in Scripture than his loving care for his people Yet no quality of God is doubted more than his love when we're under the burden of a difficult trial. Well, that's true, isn't it? And so from the study of the universe and all of the earth, then God really begins to zero in on what we could call and what is called the study of, of animals and zoology. So, so here, is, here is Job trying to figure things out. Why is everything going on in my life the way that it is? And I think that Job is wanting to have a rather theological conversation with God and ask God, God, why is this? And so instead of dealing with theology, God deals with zoology. But there's something you can learn about theology from zoology. In fact, while you're at it, you can learn something about anthropology and about harmoniology and ultimately about eschatology if you just pay attention to what's going on here in this text. Are you following me here at all? In other words, he said, Job, let's consider some animals and see how you do as a man. There we go. Let's consider some of these animals that are out there. And let, let me ask you a few questions, Job. And since you deal with livestock all the time, uh, excuse me, Job. And, and I'm not trying to make it as sound as though God's coming across in a smart way with, with Job. Do you understand what I'm saying? Although there is a lot of sarcasm and there's actually a lot of humor built into this. Okay, so it's not like God has a wrong attitude. He can't because that's actually one of the main points we want to make here tonight is God who's always right can never be wrong. And so he's coming to Job and he's asking Job, Job, I know you know a lot and I know that you've had a lot of experience here, but let me ask you this. The mountain goats, do you know when the mountain goats are going to have their young? This past summer I was running in, at Apache Creek uh, Deaf and Youth Ranch. It's out in the southwest part of, of New Mexico. And while I'm running, there's a herd of elk like 30 to 40 of them, and all their majesty was awesome. You know, a, a, a few bull elk, but mainly cows and little ones. And they were out there all by themselves. They, they, had, they had no midwife to help them have their babies. No doula for the, do, for the does. And yet they're able to have their young all by themselves, apart from man's help. Why? Because God made them and he knows when they're going to calf and he knows when they, how to take care of them. And he built in them the instinct and God is saying to Job, Job, you don't know when the, when the mountain goats are going to have their young. And you don't know uh, when the hinds, the does, the, uh, the, the deer that are there, when they're going to have their young. And they bring forth and they didn't even need your help. But the copes is here tonight, Miss Pam, and they've been running a little, some cattle on their, on their land. And he texts me a picture of a calf born just on Monday, I believe it was. And I, as far as I know, without your help. Can you believe that? Didn't even need Brother Copes. Why? Because God's given even domesticated cattle the ability. That doesn't mean that every now and then they don't call the vet. Sometimes you do. I get that. But, but here's what God's point is. Job, I know that you've got a big spread, but let me show you my spread. The whole universe. And I know every cow and I know every doe and I know every mountain goat and I know where they are and I know where they're moving and I take care of them, Job. So until you get to the point where you know as much as I do, then don't question me. Amen. It's just making sense. 
And he goes from the mountain goats uh, to, the, to the next animal that's in our text. And I don't want to make sure I'm following the text here tonight. I'm, and I, I'm not going to take as short as time as what our dear brother Isaac did, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be mindful of the time. And then he goes to the wild donkeys. He says, Job, did you give them their freedom? Did you let them loose? Did you let them off their halter and let them go free? They run, the pasture lane is the desert and, and they scoff at the idea of going into town. They're not impressed by your big high rises. They're not impressed by your big city life. They'd much rather live out here where they're free. And they scoff at the idea of somebody telling them what to do, the, the master there that would be mentioned in the text. In other words, God is saying to Job, Job, did you give them their freedom? The obvious answer is no. In fact, a good answer to use right here in these two chapters is no. If you come up with any other answer other than no, or I don't know, then you really need this chapter. Did you give them their freedom? And then he, he moves on from that to, to another uh, at this time, what may, may be, in fact, there's some animals here, most of them we know, but here like the unicorn. By the way, the unicorn, I've already mentioned in, the, in passing because, because of the popularity of, of a unicorn today, but that's not what he has in mind here. Most would say it's probably like something like a wild ox or something that would be comparable to, to like an oxen, at least that he would be familiar with, that it was domesticated, by the way. Ah, a lot of animals that were not domesticated even back then are still not domesticated domesticated now. There is some possibility that maybe this is like a rhinoceros, the, 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 you know, the, you know, horn or the horn there, but, but there's other passages in like Deuteronomy that talks about Ephraim and Manasseh being the horns. And, and, and so regardless of what it is, here's the bottom line. It was big. And if Job could have somehow harnessed that beast, whatever kind of an animal it was, then what a, what a plow it could pull. In fact, not just plow, but plows it could pull. I mean, it could have been the first combine. <laughs> if only he could have been able to put a rope. I mean, maybe, maybe you could think, maybe this would help. Can you imagine trying to put a rope around the neck of a rhinoceros to get him to pull your plow? Can you imagine putting a, 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 a rope around the neck of a bison and, and causing him to pull your plow? Could you turn your back? Hey, I'm telling you today, you ought not turn your back on some domesticated bull that's out there in the field. I don't trust a bull. I was around the horses all the time and I feel pretty comfortable, but I don't like being around a bull. I don't like turning my back on him. And he's saying this, would you feel comfortable taking him up the furrows? Oh, he's going he's gonna to turn the soil, Job. But I'm telling you this, you can't control that beast. I didn't make it that way. So he went from the fierce beast of, a, uh, of this, this unicorn as it is here in the, as in, the, in the King James Bible, which just means a big beast. He went from that to the silly ostrich. What a weird looking bird. <laughs> Seven to eight feet tall, 300 pounds, all legs. Big old eyes. The only bird with eyelashes. Weird. <laughs> Takes the young, puts the young in the, in the dust, in the sand, and would cover it. Doesn't even think, oh, I might step on them. <laughs> and when an enemy comes, then she runs. <laughs> Why? I'm going to divert the enemy away from the eggs. 
they don't want you, they want the eggs. Stop running. They say, and I saw some videos today that convinced me, I mean, if you want a good laugh before you go to bed, just Google ostrich running. <laughs> I mean to tell you, friend, she's going like 15 feet at a stride, 40 to 45 miles an hour. I saw, I saw this ostrich chasing these two guys on a bicycle. <laughs> it was hilarious. And God says, she doesn't have much up here, but she's got a lot right here. <sighs> and God says, as silly as she is, and is unaware of what's going on around her and head in the sand, so to speak, with all of that, I still made her. Because I'm so sovereign, if I want to make something that is even nonsensical, I'm sovereign enough to do that. Amen. Speed. You want to talk about speed and power and agility? How about the war horse? Man, I, I, I see it. I'm sure you can in your mind's eye down in that valley and you see one army on this side and another army on this side and you see those, those horses and the, and the horsemen who think they have control on top of them and you see those horses. Hang on, that was terrible. That is a little bit better. I mean, just, just standing there pawing. I mean, they're ready to go. I mean, waiting for the trumpet to blow and, and, and just ready to get, are you, are you following me? And you think, no, wait, don't do that. They've got swords and they've got spears and they've got arrows and, and all those things. It doesn't matter. Let's go. Let's go. That's how they are. And God says, I made them that way and I let you use them that way. But, but hang on, uh, what's his name? Job. Job, were you the one that made them that way? No, you didn't make them that way. And nobody like you made them that way. It'd be like if you tried to take a cow and do that. You couldn't do it. There's a reason why warriors didn't ride cows into battle. I had some really weird thoughts today. Come on, I mean, just, you got to bear with me here just a minute. Oh, I just thought about, you're talking about a real cowboy. There he is. And God's saying, did, did you make him bad already? In fact, this is the only domesticated animal. And it's like jo God is saying to Job, he's the only one of this list I'm going to give you that is domesticated. And you just barely have control. In fact, you don't really have control. And I could t attest to that. I remember when I was trying to, to break a horse for my uh, ag project in the FFA, the Future Farmers of America, I was trying to wear down a horse. And one thing you'll do, you never pop the horse, but you'll take a long lead line and you'll lunge the horse, which means that you've got him, you've got him going in a, in a circle or her going in a, in a circle, just trying to wear him down so they don't wear you out. And so I've got him, I took that rope and I doubled it on my hand. That was problem number one. And whatever weight he was, 500 pounds or so, and young, young colt, but I, I, I popped and I must have made him mad. And the way he went, and here I am. <laughs> I found out in a hurry, I don't have a good control. We'd go on a tra trail ride and my dad would, would, you know, we're riding together. I remember one time in particular, you know how hard it is to motivate a horse to get out of the barn and go on a ride? They don't like to leave the barn. Because in the barn, there's water. In the barn, there's hay. In the barn, there's sweet feed. I didn't ever try it. I don't know for sure how it tastes, but it actually didn't look bad. Anyways, this is really getting weird. But there they were, and they had sweet feet. They did not want to leave the barn, and so we would spur them, and we would get them, you know, going. We'd go on our trail ride, but I'll tell you what wasn't hard. 
It's once you reach that certain point and it was time to turn around and they started coming back, mercy, it's hard to hold them back. In fact, my dad got off the, off the horse. His name was Tarzan. That ought to tell you something. And got off of Tarzan. And next thing we know, Tarzan's going down the main road, down this massive hill and into our pasture land and busted through the electric fence just to get some sweet feed. We just thought we had control. And most of the time we realized we didn't really have control. All it takes is just get kicked one time, get bit one time. You'll realize you don't have control here. What about that hawk going south? Who gave it that instinct? Did you teach him to do that, that when it gets cold up here, just head south? My dad grew up in DeWitt, Arkansas, and Stuttgart, Arkansas was a duck guide in Stuttgart, Arkansas just about a year ago. Actually, this very week, I've got friends that are hunting right now. People come from all over, do you know that, to go to, to DeWitt, Arkansas. It is the duck capital of the world, friend, because it's on the migratory route, and there's, there's rice fields there, so there's water there, there's plenty of food there, and I'll tell you what else is there. Ducks and geese, I mean like thousands of them. Went in there and under the cover of darkness. And my hunting buddy said, hey, watch this. When daylight hits and that first duck flies over and that guide starts to call him in and we take our first shot, you just watch how many ducks get up off the water. And oh my goodness, I've never seen that many. There they were. Who was telling them to head south? Well, it's those fellers in DeWitt. <laughs> they got to make a living somehow. No, they don't tell them that. They just take advantage of it. You get what I'm saying? We can't control that. And the eagle that, that builds its nest so high up on that high mountain in the highest peak, do you have to loan scaffolding to the eagle to make sure that he's okay? Do you have to loan a harness to the eagle to make sure he's okay? Does, do you have to go through safety videos to make sure that the eagle's okay? When, no, 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 and no. God made that eagle that way. God made that hawk that way. God made that horse that way. God made that ostrich that way. And he made that, that beast that way. And he made all those animals that way. In other words, he's saying, Job, you may be doing real well, well at domesticating and running a ranch that has sheep and camels and all those things. But yes, son, you need to understand my ranch, if you allow me, and I'm not trying to be light this, this evening here in any way or disrespectful, but my ranch is universal. And until you have enough power and knowledge to understand how to run it, then don't try to tell me how to run my universe. Because things happen without you being there, Joe, but it doesn't happen without me being there. And there's things you'll never know that I know. first glance, when you read about a man that's going through such tragedy as what Job went through, you might wonder, why in the world is God going through all this zoology, study of animals? Why, why is he going to all this? Because he needed to help Job understand. Job, I'm not going to tell you what it is. But there are things happening that you don't see. And there are things happening that you can't control. But you need to understand from the way that I run this universe that nothing happens without my awareness and nothing happens without my control. What should I do in the light of that? I should trust him. Because until you're all knowing, you shouldn't try to run the universe. 
fact, the right response would be humility. Tonight's college night. You're a freshman at Heartland Baptist Bible College. You're a freshman at some place here in Oklahoma City. You know what you ought to do? Be teachable. Don't act like you got it figured out. Well, if I was the pastor at that church, I'd tell you what I'd do. <laughs> if I was teaching that college class, I'd tell you how I'd teach it. If I was married, okay, you just opened your mouth right there. <laughs> if I was married, I'd tell you what I'd do. If I was a parent, I'd tell you what, well, well just, just wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait till you're in some of those spots and maybe you'll realize, oh my soul, I have no clue what to do. Some of you that are seniors, I think a lot of that's been knocked out of you. Is that right? Because I, I think at this point in life, whether you're a freshman or a senior or you've been married for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, no matter who you are and where you're coming from and how intelligent you are, regardless of how you're made and what your income is and what your situation of life is, the thing that you need to know is you don't know enough to run this universe. You don't know enough to run your life. You don't know enough to run your family. You don't know enough to run that class. You don't know enough to run that bus. You don't know enough to, to, to run your finances. You don't know enough to know how to raise kids. What this all to do to every one of us is to bring us to the place of confession. Oh God, I'm vile and I open my mouth, but I'm not opening anymore. Would you teach me? Because I need to learn. Instead of me trying to say, God, you're doing this wrong. You shouldn't have let that happen to me. You shouldn't have let that happen to that person. You should be paying better attention to what's going over here. And I can't believe, I can't believe how much work I've got to do. And I can't believe how this is going and how utterly disappointed I am with this. This is poor management of my life, God. Now, you may not come out and say it like that, but every now and then we feel it, don't we? We think it's not fair and it's not right. But the thing we need to remember is we're not God. And that does not validate or say he's the author of evil, but he is so sovereign that he allows people to make choices, but he's also so sovereign that he can overrule. I don't understand. Why is COVID messing up everything? Right? But you know, God's sovereign through COVID. I got a, we had a phone call this week and um, had a slip to return the call to this gentleman. And he said, um, he said his wife back in November was hospitalized with COVID and um, it actually was 60 days in the hospital. I don't know from what time to what time she's home now. Uh, sounded to me like maybe in their elderly years of life, mentioned that they'd been a, in a church for a long time. But here, here's the reason he called. He said, I just want to call and say thank you because the day that my wife coded, like it was the worst day, that very day, somebody came to our door and put this track from your church on my door rang the bell, 
And I had literally just received some of the worst news during that time. And I wonder who in the world could be at the door. And I went to the door and I opened the door and here was this, this card that says, we have good news for you. Hey, don't tell me there's not a God in heaven who doesn't work providentially and sovereignly, even through all of our times of I'm at a loss, I'm helpless, I don't know what to do. There's a God in heaven who does care about you. And it is very easy for all of us, and I'm included in this, of course, just as much as anybody else here, to look at my circumstances or to feel the brunt of all that's coming down or whatever it may be, and to think, I don't know if there's good news in the world or if, there, if God really cares. But I'm telling you tonight, on the authority of the Word of God, He does care. And he does love you and he is aware of what you're going through and he can help you. We've got good news for you. There's a God who knows and he's still sovereign through all that you're going through. So don't question. In fact, I, I think probably next week we may take a break from Job with it being the, the uh, business meeting. I'm not sure. I'm just going to try to seek the Lord about that. But... but um, I thought about a title for even next week is simply this, Fault Finders Beware. We better be careful lest we become God's critics. In fact, I thought about it this way and I'll close with this, but sometimes I'm afraid that maybe our, we've kind of, <clears throat> in some ways, generated that mentality much related to what Brother Isaac preached. We think we deserve something. When I don't get what I think I deserve, well, if you got what you really deserve, you wouldn't want it. All right? Sometimes I think we, we think it ought to go our way. And, and maybe it's kind of built into some of our society because it's, it's the way that sometimes children speak or young people speak to parents, questioning, disrespectful. Sometimes it's the way that that a coach maybe speaks to an umpire, a referee. That was a dumb call. Well, maybe it was. But should we have that attitude? And maybe it's members bad-mouthing authority. And it just kind of gets built into that culture where Everybody that's under authority is bad-mouthing everybody that's above in authority. And it's gone all the way up to the top and we bad-mouth God and criticize what he's saying and what he's doing. And I'm not saying that that means that the umpire's right or the ref is right or the coach is right or the parents are right or all those people are right. But there's a right way to respond to all them and we ought to be this way. I'm under authority and I'm going to trust and do what's right. Does that make sense? So until we know it all, we better just trust God in the trial. Let's stand together here tonight. I appreciate your attention. <clears throat> Having studied this, came to the conclusion God used these animals to confront Job. To show him, Job, you don't know enough to tell me how to run this operation. And tonight, I hope you get that gist, that truth. We just simply don't know enough to tell God how to run things. Maybe you're disappointed in the election. Maybe you're disappointed in the financial situation or turn of events at work or whatever it may be. I, I'm not saying God's the author of all those things, but He's definitely sovereign. 
and we can trust him. Father, I want to thank you tonight for your word, the practicality of it, the insight, the help. Now, Lord, when we, when we think we know what's best, we know we need to know, we need to be reminded that we're limited. And when we think that we know what to do, then God, again, we're limited. And certainly that ought to produce a spirit and attitude of humility. So help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing tonight, page 494.